0: Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall.
1: My name is Steve Cavendish, and you can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like this show, you can rate it, you can review it, you can subscribe to it. But most of all, just tell somebody that you listen to Lamestream Sports; they should too, and their friends should all listen to Lamestream Sports.
0: Liz, listen. We we know that every one of you who's in the media is listening. Um, we need you to. To, to tell all of your listeners to listen to the pod. That's what we need you to do. <laughs> Sound good? Sounds good. Okay. Um, this is Lame Stream After Dark, by the way. We're recording this on Tuesday evening, uh, well after our normal time of recording. I just thought I'd let, let everybody know um, because uh, there's a couple days that are going to go by between tapings. Matt Miller's on the pod today and we do appreciate him uh, coming off a ridiculously busy and late night week. Uh, At the Combine in Indianapolis, he is going to give us some really awesome insight into what the Combine does, what it means for his big board, what it means for general managers, how to traffic in dark intel, and of course, what does he think of Rand Carthon and the Titans' opportunities to maybe move up, or maybe not, draft a quarterback. So a lot of good stuff from Matt Miller today. I've known this guy a really, really long time, and he even actually talks about the, 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 um, the sort of youth of the audience that he grew up with in terms of the draft, Steve, and I think it's really interesting... His perspective, he's obviously just a really good football mind as well. So, really interesting media and football conversation from Matt Miller. Uh, of course, coming up, um, he again, some really good Titan stuff a little bit later on. We've got some recommendations a little bit later on as well. Uh, however, Steve, before we do any of that, Lame Stream After Dark is brought to you by Jaspers. That's right, that's Jasper's.
1: it. That's it.
0: Just Jaspers, the whole ad. That's the ad. The whole ad. Go to Jaspers, go to Jaspers. Uh are, do you are you a combine underwear Olympics guy? Do you watch the whole thing? Combine uh, I <laughs> is that what they call it? It's what the underwear, it? it's the underwear Olympics, yes.
1: Underwear Olympics. Uh yeah. you know, I've had it on in the background before, but I've never really kind of watched it. I'm I'm fascinated by it. So true story. So when I was at the when I was at the um Chicago Tribune in the sports section, one year uh we did a combine section. We had a section just about the combine. Mm. Uh, our our sports editor at the time dreamed it up, and um, we we were widely lambasted for wasting that much newsprint. And they never did another one again. <laughs>
0: um, so so go go to Jasper's. Here's my question: What did we call doing it for the clicks or the RTs or the likes? Or that, like, what did we call it during the nineteen ninety-five newspaper days? What were you doing it for? The, the this, this was, like, this was, this was like two thousand seven. <laughs> uh, I, I know. I'm asking, what was the previous iteration of doing it for the clicks? Uh,
1: doing it for the quarters in the newspaper <laughs> box.
0: We, I don't know. We, we did it for the column inches. Um, I, I I don't know. I guess subscriptions is probably the right word. Um, and and it didn't go Did over go well with the re, with the re, with the readership. All for the subs, you know. Uh, among the hardcores, it went over really
1: well. Among our bosses, not so much.
0: Mm. Well,
1: again, again. 2000, 2000 what two thousand seven? I think it was two thousand. I have to I have to go J, back. J-Cos- you know what? It ha- it, it'd have to be later than that. I, my guess is like, my guess is like two thousand nine.
0: So Jay Cutler would have been peak Jay Cutler at that time for the Chicago bears uh, because they lost in 2010 to my green Bay Packers in the NFC championship game. Thank you, Jay. Um, okay. Uh, all right. No more messing around from us. we got some recommendations and some reaction to the Titans information here from the great, I mean, truly my favorite scout, my favorite media scout as it comes to the, as it pertains to the NFL draft, uh, Matt Miller from ESPN. Now he's been a bunch of different places, Um, You can follow him on Twitter, at NFL Draft Scout. But uh, this was our conversation with Matt Miller. Matt Miller, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you, sir?
2: Good. Tired, as you guys can see. Tired. Uh, Coming (laughs) off Indy, I usually, knock on wood, I usually get really sick the week after the Combine because we're just in each other's spaces for like a week, you know, and it's just you're not sleeping, you're you're eating bad foods, you're drinking things that aren't water, and it's it's a long week, it's a great week, it's a long week. So, so far so good. I'm hanging in there.
0: Uh just in general cuz I want to know all about the 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 back channeling that happens all the negotiations. There's trades that are taking place, there's there's scouting reports, there's lots you're trading in dark Dark intel basically right. during this entire week in, in in Indianapolis. But I just am curious when you started, you've been doing this a long time. Like, can you try to explain the the coverage of the combine and and sort of what people get out of it at, like as fans? Like it, it feels like the things that they get out of it aren't necessarily all that important. But like what what do fans get out of it today that maybe they did not from a coverage standpoint 15, 20 years ago, 30 years ago?
2: Yeah I guess my first combine I think was 2012 um if I remember right and it was it was very different there were probably 200 to 300 credentialed media members in total um no NFL teams had like in-house media at that point so it was really like a lot of newspaper guys I was a bleacher report which was very new at the time so it was like us ESPN NFL network you know we're kind of your dot coms that were there but it was it was intimate it was really small You know, the players would just be like chilling at like a banquet table and you would just go pull up a chair and talk to them when you wanted to. There were no there were a couple like podium style press conferences, but they were really small. So like Maitai Teo was one of the the first big podium pressers that I can remember. Uh, You know, Johnny Manziel had a pretty big one. Um, I I know Cam Newton had a big one. I wasn't there for that one, but it, it used to be really small. I mean, they would do it in the hallway like the concourse at Lucas Oil Stadium is where they held. media side of the combine now it takes over the indiana convention center which is enormous if you've never been to indianapolis i mean this thing is bigger than the college campus i went to like it is huge and so from a coverage standpoint i really feel like the digital era has been fantastic for nfl draft coverage obviously you know a person like myself doesn't exist before the the digital boom in journalism so i think there's that but you know there's 350-ish players at the Combine, and it's this great introduction point to people who are not diehard college football fans or diehard NFL draft fans, of which there are a lot. But there are also a lot of football fans that are like, yeah, I'm going to wait. Or, you know, I live south of Kansas City. Chiefs fans are still, like, re-watching the parade from the Super Bowl right now. They are not, <laughs> they're not diving in on, you know, a right tackle from Maryland. They're just not, and that's okay. And so I think the combine is that big introduction point. The senior ball and the shrine game are they're the start of that, but it's it's limited because it's only seniors, right? And traditionally, seniors are not the best players in a draft class, the underclassmen are. So the combine is that first time where you get every prospect in one place. And for the media members, even you know, I I have colleagues uh and they don't start talking about the draft until the combine. So a couple weeks before the combine, they start watching film and they start getting familiar with these players, but the combine is that big introduction point for them as well. And even back in the day, like I used to help out a lot of newspaper people because they would, they would say the same things like, Hey, I have not, I haven't started this yet. And I would do interviews with them. They kind of get them caught up and, and it's, it's great. And then it's a eight week sprint to the draft, which is, I think a much more digestible time period for people than you know, guys and, and, guys like us that do it for a year, you know, like we are always in it. I think eight weeks is a good time frame for people.
1: What is, uh, is there a player that you saw at the combine uh, that kind of just like seeing them, uh, seeing them up close in person, as opposed to seeing them on tape that, that, that really either leapt out at you or surprised you or that like, who's, who's somebody that you can say, wow, I, I'm really glad I saw this person in person.
2: Yeah, and I, a lot. There were a lot. Um, you know, Bryce Young looks like I did in high school, you know. So like seeing him, <laughs> I had seen him play in person, but I had never stood next to him. And I think sometimes it's that, you know, where you yeah, you know, like I've seen a guy play, you understand how big football players actually are in person, but then sometimes you see a guy like Bryce Young or Jordan Addison, the wide receiver from USC, who's like 173 pounds. And when you can stand next to them as a grown person, you look and you're, you're like, man, how are you going to handle these other guys that I've seen whose job is to tackle you? It's you know. So I, I think from there's that standpoint, Anthony Richardson, I was walking down like there's these tunnels that take you into the stadium. So he's walking one way. I'm walking the other. And I, I know the, that's the group of quarterbacks because I see people I recognize. And I see Bryce Young. I see Will Levis. I see Jake Hayner from Fresno State. And then I see what looks to be an NBA power forward walking with them. (laughs) You just have this like quick moment of who is that? Because he's just, I mean, he's just like arms and shoulders and he just, he doesn't look like he belongs with that group. And then obviously you see that and you're like, okay, that's that's a big dude. And then we get to Saturday and the quarterbacks run through all their athletic workouts, you know, the, the vertical jump and the broad jump. And those aren't televised, right? They're happening on like the side of the stadium while everyone's doing like their 40s and and things like that. So you start to hear the like some uproar over there while the quarterbacks are doing their jumps, which has never happened in my entire life. (laughs) And then the numbers start to like get leaked. Like I had a scout text me like eyeballs. I was like, what? He said, AR just jumped. And I don't remember the exact uh, measurement, but he broke the record for the vertical jump and the broad jump. 14 feet. And 14 feet, <laughs> which is like, yeah, or whatever it was. No, it, know, was it was almost
0: cars. 12. It was almost 12 yeah. feet. Yeah, yeah,
2: I think it was 11, 9 or something, right? Yeah. So it was crazy. So he's the player where, and this is what I, what I see a lot of people hate on the combine. Meanwhile, while they're there covering it, right? But they hate on it. Oh, it's not important. It's stupid. Here's why the combine matters. We all could have done this podcast one week ago and said, Anthony Richardson is a really good athlete, and we would have been right we can do this podcast today and say Anthony Richardson is the most athletic quarterback ever tested at the combine. And that's why it matters because, no, the combine did not change that he's athletic, but the combine did change how athletic he is. So if you're a team now in the top eight picks of the NFL draft and you have the opportunity to select – the most athletic quarterback ever tested at the combine. I think that changes things, right? Now you're thinking, okay, like we knew he was athletic, but he ran a 4-4-3 at 244 pounds. (laughs) Jesus, And also had a really good throwing workout on top of that. So I think for all the people that want to, like, I don't know if they think it's cool or they just want to like go counter programming to what the rest of us are doing, but all the people that talk trash about the combine, I just feel like they don't get it. You know they don't understand. They they focus on a forty yard dash instead of all the other stuff that is is actually arguably more important.
0: R A S baby R A S. That's the it's the combination of it all. Now I will say as a yeah. college as a college nerd like you, I like I knew Anthony Richardson was extraordinarily athletic. Like when yeah. he was a, when he was a backup in twenty twenty one. So I some of the some of my hate on the combine is not about the actual coverage. It's about sort of people's reaction because they are, like you said, coming to it for the first time. They're finding yeah. out about these players for the first time. They're finding out that you know there's guys like Owen Papo that tested fairly well, and I'm like, yeah, he was a five star recruit, number one linebacker in the country right. coming out of high school. Like, of course he was going to test well. Um, so that's some yeah. of my that's some of my apprehension. But I want to know what you think. Like, first of all, you talked about how intimate it used to be. Even just ten years ago, we can imagine what it would would have been like thirty years ago. But the ability <laughs> to get to know the players, tell their story introduce them to NFL fans for the first time is it wasn't that far easier in 2012 than it is today like how do you actually tell the stories when you got a media throng at a podium peppering people with questions instead of just sitting down and having a conversation and do you find that players are more prepared to speak publicly today or or are college coaches not preparing them
2: I mean, it's a mixed bag, honestly. I don't think it's one thing where you can just say, overarching,ly yes, players are more prepared. I think players are more aware because they've now grown up in a social media era where we are all our own, you know, reality stars, basically. And so, I think they're more, they're better when the lights are on. You know, they're used to they're used to that aspect of it. Whereas ten years ago, fourteen years ago, uh, they weren't. So, I think there's that side of it. But I mean, we're still talking about young men, twenty to. 25, I guess, is probably the older player in this draft class, but so they're still they can be really good on a podium. But I, what I like to find out is how do you handle everyone else? You know, how do you handle the production staff? How do you handle the event staff? How do you? And and honestly, like I've already started having those conversations with, um, talking to friends of mine who work on the production side of things at ESPN, and say, hey, how is how is this player? You know, or which players did you have a hard time with, or which players were really helpful? You know, I I heard a story about Chris Rodriguez, the running back at Kentucky, who, you know, like helped clean up the room they were shooting in while everyone else wasn't. You know, but he like he picked everything up and was like, "Hey, here you go, guys." Like somebody made a mess. I'm sorry. So you hear stories like that, and I add that stuff to my notes on players of, hey, like when this when this player wasn't asked to do anything, he did the right thing. So I do think you can prepare and go through all the PR training that you want. I think uh, those of us who've been around, I mean, you guys would be good at it too. Like you can tell when that's rehearsed and fake. And that's actually something you hear a lot when you talk to scouts or when you talk to you know, production people is, Hey, who did well? And they'll say, Oh man, this guy, he was rehearsed. It was fake. And, and that's why teams, they get those 15 minute interviews with players and they try to catch them off guard early. You want to throw them off their, their routine a little bit. And so that is, I mean, a a hugely important part of the combine before you're going to hand someone Millions of dollars before you're going to invest your future and a high draft pick in a player, you got to, you know, look under every rock and see what might be there. So it was, I think it was easier for me to get to know players back in the day because of, like you said, that ability to just pull up a chair and talk to them. But like, I might not be the best person to speak on that because as the combine grew, so did like my access. You know, Bleacher Report in 2012, people didn't even really know what it was yet. Like it was just starting to get big. And so we were at the combine. And like no one was like, okay, cool, glad you're here. And then, but as Bleach Report got bigger, it got big with a young crowd first. So there would be players who would know who Bleach Report was or who I was before media members did, because it was such a young audience. And then you know, obviously now being at ESPN, that changes everything. You know, you can you have unlimited access. So for me, you know, I have opportunities now to get to know the players offline as opposed to you know doing it at the combine.
1: What what's more exciting for you right now? Because you've seen you've seen so many players by this point. You you you're starting to just kind of process and funnel all of this. (laughs) Yeah. What's what's more exciting for you? Kind of thinking about like that first round pick and 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 kind of like how how teams are going to value those because those are the those are the gold picks or or being able to like hit on something that's in like the sixth or seventh round.
2: Oh, both. So I was telling some people this the other night, I am still such a kid in a candy store with, even though this is my, I've been doing this job since 2010, you would think there would be some like burnout or like resentment and it hasn't happened yet. So I'm really fortunate, but, so I get excited about all of it. Honestly, you know, I get excited about the first round picks because every fan looks at that first round pick and says like, this is the guy that's going to change our team, you know? And so like, that's the fun part for me is the first round you're basically selling hopes and dreams of here's why this player can get your team over the hump. But as you mentioned, the day three, I, I love day three of the draft. <laughs> I know it's like, it's a grind. I, but I, I freaking love it. I used to, I, I'm sure my parents picked up on this eventually, but you know, when the draft just used to be Saturday, Sunday, my younger brother and I, like we, our parents would know like, Hey, we need to make sure they got snacks we need to like, just leave them alone. And I'm talking when we were like little, 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 you know, but I'm sure they eventually picked up on like, so if you did what didn't used to be day three, it was day two. Right. And it was Sunday and it was a marathon. And I grew up in a, in a fairly religious household, you know, three times a week, the whole thing. But my parents would know every Sunday uh, of the draft, like, Hey. <laughs> He's going to come down with something. So we should probably just, you know, let him stay home because I would, you know, whatever excuse I could come up with, to skip church to watch the draft when it was day two. So I still love day three. And, and I think even now, you know, we have stories for a long time. It was just, oh, look, here's Tom Brady. You can win with a day three pick. But now, you know, being very close to Kansas City, I see guys like Trey Smith and Isaiah Pacheco and Joshua Williams and Jalen Watson, who were hugely important to this team winning a Super Bowl. That were day three picks. And so I think that is now, you know, the the draft audience has gotten so smart to where they see day three picks as, hey, these guys have to contribute. Now, the way the salary cap has changed football, you really need those day three picks to be able to at least be a, a good backup. And so that has made my job a lot more fun, too, is day three is not an afterthought. It's a huge part of team building right now.
0: Does your well, mom, Matt, does your mom, hang on. Does your mom have like the kindergarten Matt Miller report on why like short space agility is important for defensive tackles?
2: I like, Probably. <laughs> I know that she has, I shouldn't, I should never admit this publicly because now everybody <laughs> will want to see it. I know she has something from like the second or third grade about like, when I grew up, I want to be Mel Kuyper, you know? And it's like, it's, I mean, she reminds me of that often. Um, so she has something that was like, I'm pretty young and, I mean, we used to, my brother and I, before the internet, we would make our own draft magazine on like, you remember the printer paper that had like the holes on the side? And you, like rip, you know, like old school. Made like,
0: lots of loud noises while it printed. Yes,
2: you know, um, I don't even know what those were called. But yeah, like I mean, we would make our own draft magazines. And like, uh, he gives me hell all the time. He's like, your mock drafts were probably better back then before you thought you knew anything. You know, you were probably more accurate <laughs> in 1995 than you are now, now that you work here.
1: How much did how much did Brock Purdy's success this year uh help day three? And and how many times yeah. will Brock Purdy's name be invoked somewhere uh <laughs> in day two or day three?
2: This is a true story. I had compared a quarterback to Brock Purdy already, and I mentioned him earlier, Jay Kaner from Fresno State. So early in the season, like October, before anyone cared who Brock Purdy was, I watched Fresno State a couple games, watched last year's games. It's like, gosh, this guy really reminds me of of purdy from last year you know who was obviously seventh round pick but a quarterback i liked you know he was smart he was accurate he had great timing you know really good touch i so i was like okay yeah this is a it was a compliment at the time well brock ruined that because now if you compare a player to brock purdy people are going to think oh he's a seventh round draft pick who's going to lead our team to the nfc championship game so (laughs) he has ruined it you know you can't and what you're trying to say is this is a late day three pick who could be a really good backup is what Brock Purdy's comp was for people before December. And then he went and threw that way over the side. So I'm, I'm really happy for Brock Purdy, but I do think players like that have absolutely made it to where, and I'm sure you'll see promo of that, you know, as we get ready to sit down in Kansas city for day three of the draft, you're going to see, it's not just Tom Brady anymore. You know, it's, Brock Purdy uh, this year put himself up in that, that list. And again, you know, Trey Smith was a sixth or seventh round pick by the chiefs. Isaiah Pacheco was a seventh round pick by the chiefs. So I I think you're going to see a lot of that of, you know, even, even to an extent, Jalen hurts, being a second round pick for the Eagles and look, and he was, when that pick was made, there were so many people that were like, what are they doing? Why are you taking a running quarterback in the second round when you have Carson Wentz? So I actually loved, I, I, I'm not a like a retweet myself guy. I The one time I might make an exception, exception is Jalen Hurts because I loved Jalen Hurts. Didn't think, I didn't see this coming, but I thought he would be a good starter.
0: Lame Stream Sports is a podcast about Nashville sports media and business, and it is brought to you by
1: Jaspers. Always brought to you by the fine folks
0: at Jaspers. Uh, look, college basketball is coming up. Lots of reasons to go Coming it up, it's here. Yes, that's right. The tournament, SEC, slash all the other conferences, slash NCAA. Now, here's my question for you, Steve. All right. So you should. I'm not recommending this for your home life or for your work life. but I rec- But I definitely think personally, each and every one of you should go to Jaspers at 10.58 a.m on like Thursdays and Fridays for the next like three weeks or I guess two weeks for for SEC or NCAA or whatever. I want you to get there at 11. And I want to know if Steve Cavendish got there at 11 a.m. and stayed until the final buzzer of the final game that day. I, I don't want to tell everybody how old you are. But you may if you'd like. I would like to know how many beers you could drink Oh Jesus! From 11 a.m. until what is probably what 10, 11 p.m. Probably give or am take. Am I pacing
1: myself or not?
0: It's it's up to you. It's not like the uh, what's that stupid pancake thing that like if you lose a bet you have to eat a, like a pancake at Waffle House for every hour, and if you eat a pancake oh, right. you lose right. one, one comes off the top or something like that. This is the this is the Jasper's beer challenge. How many beers could you drink? Because I don't drink a lot of beer anymore. I'm 40 years old. I don't drink I don't drink a ton of beer anymore. I've I have ten plus years on you, so no, I I, I mm-hmm. could you do a beer? <laughs> could you do a beer an hour? Because technically, that's under the legal <laughs> legal limit. I mean, that's a lot of trips to the bathroom. That is a Look, lot luckily, of getting up and down. Luckily, as my six year old has pointed out, the bathrooms are quite nice at Jasper's. <laughs> she, she's like, "Oh, that's nice in here, Dad." <laughs>
1: I mean, I could do one I, an hour. I could do if one. I an
0: had hour. to. I could do one an hour. You could bang out a 12-pack sitting at Jasper's for, oh, for 12 man. hours.
1: My my head hurts just thinking about that. I know. I'm <laughs> old. I am I am old. All
0: right. 27-year-old Steve Cavendish. Could you bang oh, out a 12-pack? Not pack a problem. Not a problem. Could you could you do it during the morning session? Just the uh the, the first two games of the SEC tournament. Yes. Oh yes. 27 <laughs> uh, year old me, yes. 15 year old me, no. 37 year old Steve Cavendish.
1: Uh, it's getting kind of sketchy here. Where's the line? Uh, the line is probably 40,
2: yeah.
1: uh, 35. I mean, it's oh, okay. I mean, i I had made it, I had made a transition out of being able to drink a lot of beer by that
0: point. So you were um, born, you were born a beer drinker, but you no longer identify as one. Correct.
1: Okay. This is absolutely correct. All right.
0: Okay, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of that way too. I switched to to bourbon and martinis. Just inject it directly into my veins. Exactly.
1: I um, I, I found I'm I am much better off with something I can sip rather than something that
0: I can just that I just pound. Also, I think it depends on what age you were before the pandemic. <laughs>
1: that's exactly
0: and, right. at what age you were <laughs> during and just after and how many years exactly that you aged <laughs> during the pandemic yeah I, I went into the pandemic at 36 i came out at 45 <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what happened uh but, which is also what happened that's exactly what would happen to me right now if i went to jasper's and polished off a 12 pack uh, of, th- of three dollar beers during preds games man oh man uh yeah, they longest preds game <laughs> three dollar beers during preds games ten dollars smash burgers how many, parking, how, many over, how many overtimes would it take for you to
1: be able to 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 do a six-pack uh i
0: uh i don't want to admit that i could i could do it i could do a six-pack well c- what kind of beer I mean, I mean if, if if we're talking about like, uh, I, mean, like no, I mean, no, no, like no like free no like, quali- like a quality beer that's on tap at Jasper's right now. Okay, I don't know if this would be quality or on tap at Jasper's, but you give me like Coronas or Modelo's, absolutely, I could bang out a six pack with one overtime, no problem. Wow, okay. now I'm gonna I'm gonna pay for it, but like no problem, right? <laughs> uh, the 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 home style IPA from Bearded Iris that is on tap at Jasper's that is one of my favorite go to drinking beers of all of like of the last five years. Not a
1: session <laughs> beer.
0: I I could I maybe maybe want a period if I am really feeling froggy. I mean that's a that's three th- that's a,
1: that's, good, that's a good beer that is also that is not that's not something you sit down and
0: drink a lot of. No, here's the other thing about Jaspers. And now I'm just making shit up. Um <laughs> As opposed to what the rest of this dra- add Draft beers I cannot drink draft beers anymore either because the the generally the taps at bar especially nasty ass bars the opposite of Jaspers Tap, taps are disgusting, they're dirty, and they're overcarbonated, which means I get headaches after like two or three beers. I, two or three beers out of a six-pack, no problem. But I've never had that problem at Jaspers. I've sat down with you a couple times and watched some games and had a couple draft beers and never had a problem. So Jaspers keeps their taps tight, baby. Go to Jaspers. Go to Jaspers. I I do want to ask about like sort of the dark Intel that gets trafficked around Indianapolis after hours um, and how that affects general managers, boards and your boards. But, but real quickly on the, the, the Purdy thing, because I think S2 is based here in Nashville, 14 teams in the NFL have it. It's about mental processing. It's not about intelligence, but it's about processing speed. I'm assuming baseball players, for example, probably score extremely high on that type of test. When you've got to pick up the seams of a baseball at 95 miles an hour, but Brock Purdy, apparently reportedly scored extremely high on that test last yeah. year's draft class wasn't particularly great. How much do you value that type of analytical stuff? Cause we know like these, the RAS scores and the times that you guys just studied are all very important to measure overall athleticism yeah. and different skills, but how do you, is, is it right now the forefront of, of evaluating the mental processing skills of quarterbacks? Is that, is that what we are is these, these types of tests?
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, S2 is relatively new. I think a lot of us heard about it last year. It's just now being talked about, kind of openly, right? I think the Athletic maybe did a a piece on it. So I look at my job as being really hard, (laughs) and because the job of evaluating players is really hard. That's why NFL teams have like twenty people to do it. When you in the media, obviously we don't have as much on the line, but we're doing it by ourselves. You know, it's not a situation where all of us, you know tv draft guys we don't get together and share notes on players it's just it just i mean maybe we should it might make the job a lot easier but i look at you know whether it's ras or s2 whatever can make my job better i'm gonna i'm gonna look at it and so i think you know things like ras i i love ras because again it's like we're talking about it gives context you know we can say a player is really athletic or we can talk about jackson smith and jigba having legendary three code times but like what is that like put i think we need to put that in a snapshot for people because people don't want to dig through 50 years of combine data so ras does a really good job of one through ten which all of us idiots can process one through ten right so it's like oh gosh that guy's a 10 that's really good so I, i love ras um kent does a phenomenal job it's an invaluable resource that should not be free uh he should definitely be charging us for all that (laughs) thankfully he doesn't so um with s2 i think that interesting thing will be you know like with the wonder which was the standard for a long time it was supposed to be private those scores were supposed to never be leaked and and inevitably they would be i I wonder if s2 is going to be a similar thing and i'm supportive of that being private information or, or at least not shared in the media because it is i mean it's it's weird how much we end up knowing about people that we don't know when it, when it comes to the draft. So I, I'm excited about the you know what it brings to the table. You're right. I've, I, I think baseball, they've used something very similarly for a long time. So it, if it's something that can be responsibly shared with those of us who evaluate players, I think it can be a game changer.
0: Um, all right. How much do general managers draft boards change at the combine? How much does your board change? change at the combine basically how much does yeah. the combine matter to your rankings based on all of the work you've done during the tapes the tape the tape season
1: and and, yeah. and, within, and and within that how much of it is changing because of what you saw at lucas oil and how much of it is changing <laughs> because of the conversations yeah. you're having you here
2: yeah i would say 90 percent of my evaluation on a player is tape study right and that might be, I mean, I'll just be completely transparent. That could be my own tape study that I see, which I do a ton of. Like we we are given ample amounts of time to watch players. It's amazing. But then also you will hear things, like you mentioned Owen, where it's like a, you know, a, a scout will say, hey, like, have you seen this? Or man, that guy looked like a little stiff hit. What do you think? And you'll go back and you might watch another game or two and then talk about that, right? So there are a lot of, I have a lot of those conversations with scouts about players, like really drilling down on on this, the trait specific stuff. So that's definitely important. The combine will change things. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it does not it will for me. It will for teams for teams more so because of medical and personal, as I mentioned, you know, they have gigantic staffs who have seen all of these players in person at this point. I I have not. So for, even for me, the combine is sometimes the first time I will ever see a player in person or at least where I've seen them in person and be evaluating them. You know, like I might go to like an Alabama game and watch a, a player who's a freshman or a sophomore that's not draft eligible. And then when they by the time they're eligible, oh yeah, I've seen them in person, but it might have been two years ago. So it is, it's important. It's I think it's really important for for people that do my job because it is sometimes the first time we're seeing a player, sometimes the first time we're watching them move in person. But also it's, you know, it's an uncomfortable environment. And it is important to watch and see how players do in that situation. You know, at a pro day, I tried to explain this to people the other day. A pro day for a quarterback is scripted and practiced over and over and over again until it's rote basically the combine you basically know that like the drills but you do not know who you're throwing to you have no idea about the pacing because you don't know if the two quarterbacks in front of you are going to sit out or often or if the three wide receivers are going to sit out so you're going to have to get back in faster or slower or so the combine is just such an uncomfortable environment that you can't really prep for and i think that's why it's it's key not only to the on-field with the off-field stuff you know you're put through three or four really stressful days how do you treat people how do you handle yourself that's that's all important to know
0: so you, so you, then you how talk, much well go ahead. well i was gonna say so after hours you're done you're done with saturday the quarterbacks have thrown they've gone through their interviews and you're you got you're hanging around everybody's milling about uh you're at various locations i'm a slippery yeah. noodle i'm a slippery noodle guy you know um but like you you go through that whole evening process what do you? What are you learning? Who are you talking to? Is it coaches? Is it scouts? I'm not asking for names here, but I'm just kind of take people behind the curtain on what that process looks like.
2: So it has changed. I will say that. I mean, there's so many people now that it's hard, you know, the places that you used to go into, you know, the JW Marriott lobby or Kilroy's, you know, places like that, you used to be able to go grab a booth and and have a conversation, or you could kind of like post up and grab people that you knew. Um, I I think that's kind of going away because there's just so many people there. And, you know, I mean, teams don't want you talking to their scouts also. So it's, it's become more secretive. And so there's a lot more breakfasts, you know, of like, Hey, let's, let's grab a coffee somewhere off the beaten path and talk a little bit. Or, you know, I went to a couple of events this year that were closed to the public and that makes it a little bit easier to have those conversations. So, um, I, I mean, a lot, a lot of information is shared um i I think that's a part of the job where it's like it is very much a trade of information you know it's and and it's building a relationship you know it's it's having those people that know they can trust you and that i know i can trust where i mean they're not we're not sharing state secrets right this is not watergate but it's hey did you hear x player didn't interview well and so you take that information and you're okay well i need to ask a lot more people about that or you hear you know i was at an event wednesday night and a, a scout two scouts actually they were like hey Anthony Richardson's gonna run sub. Uh, he's gonna run like mid four four. I was like, "There's what? There's no way. He's two hundred forty four pounds." There's like, no, no, no. Like he's been running mid four fours in training. So you file that away, and then you know Saturday evening when it's time for him to run, I can put on Twitter, "Hey, like I've heard from a couple of scouts, he's running in the four fours, and it's so." I think that's where it's it's important. There is a lot uh, of information that's exchanged. That is. You know, not used, or sometimes you know, never, never comes up till after the draft, and then you remember something somebody told you, and you're like, "Oh, yeah, okay." Now you you can see the other side of it, right? The dot connects after the draft. Sometimes
1: you've been doing this long enough now that you have seen guys that when you were starting out were scouts and have moved up in organizations and are doing different stuff. Uh, Is there anybody? Is there anybody that you've met kind of along the way that you're just like? Who, who has now hit like a player personnel position or something like that, that you're just like, I I, I met this guy a while ago. He had like, he had like the eye, like he, he could, he was somebody who, who saw talent.
2: Yeah. I don't know if I can say names, so I, I can't, I can't be like specific there. I can text you guys after the fact. Um, Steve, said, Steve <laughs> yeah. just asked
0: you, who are your sources? That's what he just asked you. <laughs> I, yeah. No, but I mean, yeah. like,
2: like,
1: like, I mean, obviously there, I mean, obviously you meet, you meet a lot of guys as they're, as they're coming up in their careers and is there anybody that you've been just like, you know, I always kind of knew that guy was going to be a GM or I was going yes, to knew that absolutely. guy
2: Absolutely. yeah. There's a young guy right now who is a relatively newer friend of mine who works in player personnel. And I've watched him go from an intern to now an area scout for one of the more like desirable areas. And he's done that in like two years. And I actually told him the other day, I was like, man, you are on a rocket ship with your career right now. And people don't normally go from intern to, you know, a premier area scout in two years. So I'm going to be like begging you for information here very soon. And yeah, there are (laughs) several of those guys now who are GMs that I I was, I was telling some of my, my bosses, this, that, You know, when I when I started in this job, I was so much younger than everyone else doing it. So that really helped me because I was able to connect with scouts who were around the same age as me. And we were living on the road together. You know, I was traveling all the time when I was at Bleacher Report. And and I think there was a respect there. And also, you know, they grew up on social media as much as I did. You know, and so, um, you know, the people that I respect so much in this industry, like Mel Kuyper and Daniel Jeremiah and Todd McShay, they're not living on Twitter, uh, which is probably why they are very sane human beings. And, and I'm not, <laughs> you know, but, you know, I think also those, those young area scouts, you know, who love the draft, you know, they there, I think, you know, we all kind of followed each other on Twitter back in the day. And that's where a lot of those relationships started. So yeah, there, there are quite a few guys I'm really proud of, you know, how far they've come. It's great. I live in a small town and it's funny when people have to come through here to scout it's like you know. I think they know there's a, a safe spot here where we can go grab dinner and, and grab a drink or two and, and just talk, you know. And, and it's funny how much you don't talk about football in those situations.
0: Um, as someone who's, uh, I, I don't need second source on this. Mel Kuiper does not have a cell phone. Um, That's true. That's not not true. only, not only does he uh, not use Twitter, he doesn't own a cell phone. He cannot text. You have. There's to email a rumor him. that he
2: has a cell phone, but he doesn't use it. No, it's the missus.
0: It's so, the missus. I've, I've done yeah, shows. With, I've done shows with him. He's.
2: He, yeah. I, okay. I mean, when we, we spoke the other night uh, and it was called the line line, which you know, is, <laughs> yes. is great. It's great. Um, I have to remind myself, like he's the same age as my parents, you know? And so it's like, it's like, it's like call mom and dad. Mel is. Uh, I know you guys didn't ask this question, but I'll tell you, he is the nicest human being. Yeah, he um, is. You know, my first day at ESPN, it was kind of unexpected. Like I knew, I knew it was coming, but I had broke a story and they were like, Hey, you're, you're starting today now. Um, (laughs) And he called me that night. And I, I mean, I was floored, you know, my, like my now wife was with me and she's like never seen me react that way before, you know, I was like, what, what the hell is happening right now? You're never going to believe who just called me. Yeah. I mean, he is such a good person, you know, not only is he a hard worker and you know, a, a trendsetter in this industry, just such a great person.
0: Yep. he he really. I, I'll be a second source on that one for sure. Um, now we that means we need to get mom to pull out the the book report uh, on what you want to be when you're a kid uh, when you're yeah. a kid. So, all right, well let's end with, with let's end with an actual Titans question here. We've talked a lot about the combined media. So, uh, your uh, opinions and thoughts on Rancarthon, first time GM, but really has been yeah. kind of checking every single box on the way up. Everybody's obsessed with San Francisco's model. The Titans are now going to employ that. My question: uh, so number one, thoughts on Rancarthon, but number two. If the Tennessee Titans, who are very heavily interested in trading up, would you approve a trade up to number three and take one of the top three quarterbacks and be okay with whoever you got?
2: Uh wow, that's there's a lot there. So we'll start with Rand. He has done. I mean, he's done an amazing job, and I think he has the pedigree you want. You know, obviously um, a p- player, college and pro had a lot of success in college, and then he worked his way up. You know, this is not a. I think players have a hard time when it feels like something was gifted to you, you know, and for him, it absolutely was not, you know, he grinded his way up in San Francisco. And and I think um, I've talked to some players and they already say like, they were, they really respect him and that, that he already seems like he connects well with people. I think Tennessee is a rebuild. I, I know a lot of people don't want to hear that word and I'm sorry, but it's a rebuild. And I think as much success as San Francisco had with unconventional methods, you know, late round picks, UDFAs, trades, free agency, you know, getting Trent Williams, they they attacked it from every angle. And I think that's what Tennessee has to do. You obviously have a great head coach. And, and I think that'll be, that's probably what I'm most interested in is, is how well those two work together, you know, because they're both very strong personality, great guys, you know, but how are they going to mesh, you know, because it's different from what John Robinson was. It's very different. So I think that'll be what I'm most interested in is how well do Vrabel and Rand Connect and, and work together. Um, trading up, I don't man, that's tough. Uh, trading up to three and saying we're going to be fine with whichever quarterbacks there, essentially means Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. Um, that three is too rich for me. I'll say that three is too high for me. I would not want to put my my job on the line at number three. Plus, you would have to give up a wheelbarrow full of picks to go from eleven to three. So that might seem like really conservative of me to be like, no, I'm not. I would say, I mean, I would trade up for Will Anderson, but that's still too much to trade up for a defensive end. So as much like maybe they do want to trade up and and get a quarterback, I would almost rather wait till next year. Uh, when you you're looking at Caleb Williams and Drake May, uh, as as I think they will be better quarterback prospects than what we have in this class. So I would I would think this year try to figure out the offensive line, try to get another pass rusher. Maybe draft Hand Hooker in the second round. See what you can get there, and then if all else fails, head into the twenty-four draft looking at quarterbacks. So,
0: so you wouldn't go to three to take one of the top three, would you? Go to one or two to take one of the top two?
2: Probably not. I still think it's Got just it. too expensive, and, and I'm not. I'm not convicted that these quarterbacks are like. And I really like Bryce Young. I really like C.J. Stroud. I'm not convicted enough in the Titans situation to say one of those guys is going to be the answer like who's your left tackle right now you know who's your number one wide receiver who's your running back there are so many so to me again i think this is a rebuild i don't think this is hey let's use seven draft picks to go get a quarterback when we have no one to protect him no one for him to throw to and we might have to trade the guy he's going to hand the ball to to get up there so that's just not how i would go about things for this team
0: Matt, man, you've had an unbelievable career. Uh, you're on your own rocket ship. Uh, I'm uh, uh, just It's awesome to see you doing what you're doing, and thank you for giving us so much of your time, especially coming off such a busy week. Thank you, man.
2: You bet, guys. I, I know I say this every time. I'm going to get to Nashville soon, and we're going to do this in person. <laughs> uh, soon might be relative. Maybe in the summer. We'll, we're we'll, avi- we'll try to make it happen.
0: We're available. Thanks, dude. Thanks, guys. That was Matt Miller, of course. The draft being held in his hometown or his home area, there in Kansas City this year. One of the best in the business, and has, I think, is a shining example of how to just grind and work your ass to the top of an entire industry. Much like Mel Kiper has done, uh, Matt Miller, I think, is a, a crowning example of of what you can do in this media world if you just love something and pour yourself into it, and are willing to spend every waking minute of your life dedicated to a topic.
1: Uh, Not to turn this into a football show, another fine podcast here on the 440 Sports Network. Uh, Are we? Are we in a full teardown?
0: Oh, for the Titans,
1: is this a is this a full teardown?
0: I wasn't expecting that. Going down to the studs, like a sports question on this media show. I I think they're like I think they're like seventy three percent of the way down the road. (laughs) I mean, if they trade Derrick Henry. And, um, if something, even if they keep Ryan Tannehill, but they draft a quarterback, I, they're already there. If
1: everybody, if everybody who has deleted the Titans from their media is traded,
0: then yeah, yeah, well, probably so. Let's not go crazy with that. So we we, no, do you want to, that's actually not a bad, not a bad topic to bring up because the the,
1: the reason why I ask it is this, because, you know, we saw like the competitive rebuild year, year, years year of three
0: uh, three years
1: of uh of the of the predators and that didn't work and so now people are suddenly suddenly very excited about the about the rebuild for the predators what is what has to happen to kind of like to kind of like win people's uh, win people's hearts and minds into suffering through a rebuild
0: well, first of all, it can happen in a year in the NFL. The Bengals did it in two. Um, and are, the divisions, and, and the division sucks, the and it division, so makes it easier for
1: easy to 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 kind of potentially rebound.
0: No, you can do it in the NFL a thousand times easier than you can do it in every other sport. That's the whole point. Um, for those of you who are uh, capitalist pigs like me, remind all your friends that the NFL, the reason it is so great and popular, is is it's because it's the most socialist product in our entire country. Um, <laughs> but that is why. That is why you can rebuild in less than a year, maybe two. And again, if you're going to fire the GM, change the offensive coordinator, change the offensive line coach, maybe trade your franchise, you know, superstar tailback at the right, at, probably at the right time. You cut your face of the franchise, left tackle. Uh, you traded AJ Brown. Like you're, you're already, you fired John Robinson. and you're already there. Like you're already in the rebuilding yeah. thing. Uh, the last real piece is Ryan Tannehill. And we all know Ryan Tannehill is not the long-term answer at quarterback for the Tennessee Titans. So, I think it's a sellable commodity. The Jets have been doing this around this time of year for the last fifty years. Well, uh, that's not that. That doesn't
1: exactly. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't exactly. You know, warm. No, in no, no. Part. But
0: the the point is, is again, the Bengals did it in two years. They went from garbage, dumpster fire, number one overall pick, number four overall pick, to back to back AFC Championship games in two years. You can do it. It's it's it, you got to have the guy probably at quarterback, uh, but you but you can do it. And this is why the Titans are contemplating moving up it's interesting that matt miller thinks that they should not um i don't know what i've heard so many mixed and conflicting reports on will levis not just him but also anthony richardson i you know matt says that next year's draft class is better i i tend to agree with at least the top two names but i think they're i think richardson's worth the risk at three potentially uh, and maybe I'm in the wrong on that. Maybe I'm in the minority. So um... the
1: the the funniest thing I've I've read on Twitter here in the last couple of days is somebody saying that if Will Levis was at Ohio State or Alabama, he would be number one in the draft. And the response was, "If Will Levis were at Ohio State or Alabama, he would be the
0: backup." <laughs> yeah, like so. I don't I don't know why that's a thing that exists because he went to Penn State. Yeah, he was a four star recruit who went to Penn State and was the backup so i mean will levis
1: may be a great quarterback will levis may end up being very good in the nfl but do you really want the heartburn of uh of of finding out cuz it's not going to it's not like he's going to come in and be great immediately and you know the the whole angst of the the, the whole angst of you know did we draft another bust quarterback Hello yeah. Jake Locker. Hello
0: Marcus. No, I I don't I, I not mean, know. I don't know if any of them get to them at 11. I think Levis could fall potentially and then somebody trade up and grab him at 14 or 15, but I actually don't think I think all four of them are gone before the Titans pick at 11, honestly. Yeah. So,
1: what do you make of the uh, and while we're here, uh because yeah. More because, sports uh, questions. Let's do it. More sports.
0: More sports. Uh, we'll talk about Apple TV and and media in a second. But but but
1: Matt had Matt had brought up the the Anthony Richardson question. Would how how would you feel about Anthony Richardson as a Titan?
0: Uh, as long as you keep Tannehill, I think it's actually pretty smart move.
1: Uh, th- I, that
0: just scares the. Oh, of, course, of course, I mean, doesn't I mean, but like, hey, it's not your money or draft picks. <laughs> I just think I, I think I think sitting behind Tannehill, uh, investing in some pieces, you probably don't have to go all the way up to one to get Anthony Richardson. You might be able to get him at three or five or seven. Uh, it wouldn't cost you as much potentially to get him. And if you can keep Tannehill on a pretty team friendly contract, then I think he's perfect to sit behind him. You let Tannehill walk or trade him next se- next off season. and um. You've got a guy who's who's not again. He's not raw. He's just inexperienced. He just needs time. But otherwise, as you just heard Matt Miller say, he is the most athletic quarterback in the history of the draft. <laughs> so I just, if I, you're gonna take, I'm just saying, if you're gonna take a risk on a guy, take a risk on a guy that is a physical outlier in the best possible way. Yeah. I, I I think that is you want to you want to trade Derrick Henry and sell tickets. You draft Anthony Richardson. So that's just seems that just.
1: I the I I have heartburn over this right now. Well,
0: it's it, you know I, <laughs> I think it would be I think it would be uh, for those of us in the media world that want the subs <laughs> that want the clicks and the uh, RTs. I think it would be great to have a first round quarterback with Rand Carthon's first major move being to trade up and draft one. That would be that would great. Just, yeah, <laughs> that would be spectacular. Um, all right. Uh, it's it, it's also must lie season. I think we should put a yeah. big asterisk on the entire episode yeah. we just did <laughs> and say that everything everybody's heard from everybody is, is possibly a lie. Uh, right. Just, just want to point that out. So, okay. All right. With that being said, on to recommendations. All right. Let's wrap up with some recommendations here. And we got to, so I want to get your thoughts on Apple TV. Have you perused it much with the soccer deal? I've got, I want to get your thoughts on that. Cause I missed the match, the second Nashville SC match. And I've been seeing some some long threads on Twitter and some people complaining. I was listening to a sports business podcast with uh, John O'Ran and Andrew Marchan about how there's some finicky uh, issues with it. I like I find it super easy to get to Nashville SC to get to all the Nashville SC content and to watch the quick seven minute replay. Great. I get the starting lineups. Frankly, Tony Husband was on the call this past weekend, so I enjoyed that. Uh, and I got my seven minutes of highlights and in a nothing, nothing match. That was it. A few nice saves by Joe Willis. But uh, here's my
1: uh, as somebody as
0: somebody who watched all of that match, the seven minute highlights was the was was the right version of it. So part I'm kind of like okay with the seven minute part, especially if I see a nil nil draw on the road where I know it was basically and Hani's not even starting, and I'm like okay, this is cool. This is all I need. A couple of great saves by Joe Willis. But I cannot find, and everyone else is complaining about this too. I cannot find the full replay, and I am not like a 75-year-old man who needs his VCR clock reset. Like I, People are having a tough time finding the actual full replays of matches. But other than that, I think it looks way better than anything broadcast linear television is doing covering the MLS. And I think so far through two weeks, they've done a pretty darn good job. If I can just find the full freaking replay of the match. Now, uh, are you
1: trying to find it through your Apple TV box?
0: Yeah, in Apple TV inside yeah. the MLS, the Apple thing. It gets me all it the way to SC, watch replay, and then it's just watch recap. I can't get to the other one.
1: It is, it is, it is harder to find that way. Uh you can find it easier through your laptop than you can than you can through your the the, inter, the interface is wow what it's a what little it's soon? a little
0: it's a little finicky.
1: That's that sounds... what's that? <laughs> um yeah, the the interface the, the interface, ironically enough, for the Apple TV uh, setup is different than the, and it's even different because I've watched it. I've got a, I've got a, a different TV that I watch on, uh, that I'm watching through an Amazon Fire Stick. So you're going through the Apple TV app, and and it, and the the even the menuing is different from app to app. Uh, so it, it's definitely a, a thing with the main
0: kind of kind of TV OS app. Uh, in the Apple box mine is through uh Xfinity and um no no disrespect but YouTube TV is coming soon <laughs> 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 but that's not that's not the reason that's just I just want to save some money um okay so I just I don't know if you've if, if you've kind of perused it uh, l- listen it out. The, the, um, the
1: service is great I, I I did a thing the other day because um some people were complaining about the crowd noise there are more mics on the crowd there is there is better there's better sound of the of the crowds than there has ever been before yeah and so uh, you know you're gonna it it is higher in the mix which means they probably need to take the broadcast mix up just i mean the broadcaster mix up just a little bit but i was also flipping back and forth between home audio and uh and and the broadcasters and it's pretty seamless on the apple box i i i really enjoyed it and and if and if your problem is with uh, if your problem is with the in-stadium sound and, and and like too much crowd noise, there's there's a damper on it when you go to the radio feed. Uh,
0: so that's good. I have not um, I I have not had a chance to watch the whip around. I've heard some people saying that they need to be, do a better job of staying. The whip on around
1: it. was different even from week from week two because I watched
0: part of it in week two. Do, do they stay on the field enough? Like, are they? I heard they're taking commercial breaks and like not showing so, action. Like, they need to be so, on the so field all the time. So
1: they're doing commercial breaks, but they're on the field all the time. Uh, the, in week one, I think there was they the, they were showing more people in the studio, and I, and I think they heard that loud and clear. And yep. the whip around stuff that I watched in week in week two okay. was all it was all screen action.
0: Well, it, it's interesting because the Pac-12 still has not signed media deal, and Apple could be involved in that as well. Apple didn't do baseball particularly well, but I think they've come out of the gate pretty well. They've got a few minor tweaks to work out, but otherwise, I think they've done a pretty good job with MLS. Their studio show compared to Fox's studio show. In terms of the investment and the quality of the product, is night and day. College well, dorm, professional set.
1: <laughs> oh my god! And and if you go back and forth between what they're doing on ESPN Plus for for their stuff, like I was watching the the studio show for the League Cup final where they were doing their ESPN was doing their own as opposed to picking up something from from overseas, and it was, I mean, it is it, it is it is dorm room closet yeah, yeah. compared to compared to what Apple's doing.
0: All right. So uh, anybody got any feedback on that? Let us know Um, real quickly here. And thanks to Matt Miller for giving us so much of his time. We do appreciate it. Make sure you go to Jasper's, of course, and pound as many beers as possible. If you don't get that reference, don't skip the ads. Come on, guys. Uh, Follow uh, Steve Cavendish on Twitter at S Cavendish. Of course, you can get to me at Braden Gall, uh, as well as sign up for good journalism. NashvilleBanner.com. Real quickly, my buddies, my wife watched it like three weeks ago. My buddies have been watching it and trying to tell me to get into this crap. I have not done it until this weekend when I sat down and watched all three episodes on you Netflix. You, that's not fair. You knew the ending. Well, I don't really care about that. I mean, I do because <laughs> he killed some people. But <laughs> the Murdoch stuff, Alec Murdaugh and the Murdaugh family down in Hampton, I watched the three episodes of Netflix and then I proceeded to watch the three episodes on HBO because, of course... Um, yeah, it's called, it's called Low Country. Yeah. Here's a quick, here's a quick review, and here's what I would recommend: watch the Netflix one first because I think they do a better job of storytelling. It's more artistic, although HBO is pretty good. It tells it sort of paints the personalities better, so that you understand who they are a lot better. And I think they tell that story of of the community and the society and the family and the whole deal, and they do a great job. It's, I mean, you got to watch both of them if you like it. But then I went back and watched the HBO one, and they have way more footage like if you want to see the boat crash, if you want to see a few other things that happen, a few more phone calls, a few more like police interviews, a few more things. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but I would watch the Netflix one first and then go back. And I think the HBO one fills in some gaps, but it's still a lot of overlap. I came away with it. No spoilers. I came away with it thinking that I knew everything there is to know about what took place. And I don't need any more other than like, the recap episode. Now that the verdict has come in on on the dad, so that's all. That's all I wanted to say. So, you
1: know, uh, are you gonna watch?
0: I I don't know if I'm gonna watch. I if the trial hadn't already happened, I might I might have watched one of them. Oh, there's there's a lot. There's there's more. Okay. There's, there's also an 80 episode podcast series of which I have no clue why there's a need for that. So you can go a lot deeper if you need to, Steve. <laughs> I, I I do not need to go to go deeper on this story. I mean. I, I know I know he did it so the, but there's more murders so just so you know there's more history there's more generational problems uh and the, and the three episodes of Netflix is all I needed and then I went and got I added the three episodes of HBO and I'm, I'm good I've got what I need there will absolutely have to be some sort of follow-up though there'll have to be another like another episode recapping all the stuff because there's two two cases are now open so like we'll see we'll see we'll see I don't want to give I'm, I'm already spoiling it I feel like so all right real quickly um want to recommend uh
1: on uh on netflix uh chris rock had a had a stand-up special here uh last weekend first live event right first live event uh and it is i mean chris rock's a funny guy and i like i tend i tend to like his stand-up anyway but uh stay for the last seven minutes all
0: right that's a last, tease. Right last
1: there. seven minutes has a
0: lot of uh, has a lot of Oscar wrap up. That's a tease right there. I and, like and, that. I like that. You're gonna. It's, it, 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 it's worth your time. Thank so. you to Matt Miller, Steve Cavendish, Braden. Gall. have a great weekend, everybody. This has been Late Stream Sports here on the 440 Sports Network.